Hello, uh, welcome to the Miko Bits show. Uh, this is where we keep up with what's new in Bitcoin, DeFi, and blockchain. And today we have an exciting guest, Brian Kerr from Kava, a co-founder of this cross-chain protocol. Uh, it's pretty essential type stuff to understand if you're in the DeFi space. So uh, really looking forward to getting the skinny on this exciting uh, protocol. So. Um, yeah, so before we get into it, of course, this is uh, opinion and uh, entertainment show, so it's not investment advice. So seek a licensed professional if you want entertainment advice. And, uh, you know, without further ado, uh, here's Brian. Hey. Hey, Miko. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, typically what we like to kick off with is sort of the news of the day or news of the hour. So it seems to me like one of the things that's happening that's interesting is, of course, that today is the day of the uh, Biden inauguration. You know, we try not to get political on the show, but one of the things that does uh, cause is it causes new figures to appear in the administration. Uh, obviously, some familiar and some less familiar faces. Gary Gensler coming in to head up the SEC. That's exciting uh, for crypto people, uh, obviously. And Janet Yellen uh, handling Treasury, which is interesting. you know. And I think Janet Yellen, uh, her words at her confirmation were related to now is the time for bold action. So I think she's very much in a stimulative mood. So, you know, the Biden administration's proposing a $1.9 trillion stimulus. Uh, and that should be uh, really interesting from a macroeconomic uh, effect. So I guess, uh, you know, what's your thought about this, you know, in a sort of apolitical, but more like focused on Bitcoin and cryptographic assets? Yeah, I think it's super interesting. Uh, the macro climate and the U.S. political setup, of course, affects that considerably. Um, I, you know, a lot of people, especially business owners, see Biden as, as not a very positive thing for, for a number of reasons. Yeah. But if you're in crypto, actually most of the signals that we're seeing are, are pretty positive and bullish, whether it's, you know, increased stimulus tends to, uh, you know, provide additional liquidity, which flows back into crypto assets like Bitcoin. That's good for the overall space. As you mentioned, these new people are much more pro uh, crypto from a regulatory uh, regime um, perspective. And what we've already seen from like the where, where the banking uh, licenses with Kraken have been kind of moving forward and with digital currencies of, of central banks on the horizon. I just think everything is kind of like a good tailwind to carry crypto further. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty positive about the whole situation from a macro perspective right now. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, I, you know, I think one of the interesting things in banking is the OCC gave a federal license not a wyoming right. license to anchorage right. which is quite a, a novel and you know anchorage of course very well connected andreessen horowitz startup company for you know custody so yeah, it should be an exciting uh year so there's definitely some real interesting uh regulatory wrinkles coming and obviously this kind of macroeconomic uh, economic stimulus. So I think those are all potentially bullish. One of the really interesting bogeys on the horizon is sort of the ETH futures on the CME, right? So that's a really interesting one because obviously the advent of Bitcoin futures on CME was kind of related to uh, a downturn, right? And it's because it yeah. allows people to do a sort of shorting action. And in fact, uh, at the Pantera uh, meeting, actually, uh, Commissioner Giancarlo uh, from CFTC actually said that 
um, that was his master plan. So he he said, "Well, you could give me credit for that. I I I suppressed the price of Bitcoin." Yeah, yeah, he he will take credit for that through and through, yeah. and he's done so for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, audience audience wasn't super happy with him saying that, but like you know that was it. But he's a real high flower. Like he was he was he was basically saying, "Well, I'm going to go from the." pantera meeting to the vatican where i'm going to hang out with the pope so it kind of feels like he's he's got a real interesting uh lifestyle he might be on a different level than than you and i yeah exactly <laughs> i liked it it was it was it was a neat he was a really neat keynote speaker at the event but uh yeah so talk you a little bit about um sort of uh, the main event right which is of course kava so you know one of the things i love to have uh, founders do is talk about the problem you know like how do you define mm -hmm. The problem you know that you're solving yeah so the, the big problem in DeFi is well currently DeFi is limited to the ethereum ecosystem of assets and what comes along with that is the the types of collateral that can be used in DeFi is very limited and then what we've seen recently is things like transaction bandwidth and the resources of the ethereum network are starting to get really constrained because of the success of DeFi. i mean it Crypto Kitties was the first kind of bellwether that said, you know, things could be clogging up here, uh, but DeFi taking off and then actually USDT transactions and just regular payments of, of ERC-20s has really filled up the, the whole blockchain. And, and that's what's causing, you know, $80 transaction fees and huge spikes that make what's supposed to be an open financial network and uh, composable financial services no longer open to the world, but only open to what I would call like the ultra rich or people who can afford to pay $80 per transaction. That's way higher than what people currently pay to, you know, trade a stock or, or do anything in the US, much less if a person's in, you know, Vietnam, Malaysia, somewhere where, you know, the, the current, the average person doesn't earn all that much money. So, uh, you know, the overall promise of DeFi is make these financial services, not just for the ultra wealthy, but accessible anywhere in the world to anyone, regardless of what asset they hold. And we really focus on addressing that particular problem. Great. So uh, I understand from uh, your website and white paper that uh, you know, you're, you're kind of a Cosmos Tendermint uh, consensus type of uh, blockchain. Is that, is that accurate to say? Yeah, we, we constructed the blockchain using the Cosmos SDK, yep. which is not, it doesn't mean, a lot of people confuse this, but it doesn't mean that we're built on Atom or the Cosmos Hub. Sure. That's its own independent blockchain. Yep. There's over a hundred different blockchains that use this framework that developers can use. And it's kind of like the, the skeleton of a blockchain where it does all the basic kind of messaging sure. uh, formations of blocks, validating those blocks and making sure uh, it's operating like a properly trustless uh, blockchain. And where a developer comes in is you add the things you want that blockchain to specialize in. Uh, so for us, we kind of pulled all the levers to the max on the things that were important to us, like safety, security, uh, cross-chain infrastructure, and devoting all the bandwidth of our blockchain to that particular uh, set of tasks. Uh, whereas other blockchains might specialize in, in something else. Um, we think that in this world uh, with you know, Polkadot and Cosmos and kind of this multi-chain world that's forming, each blockchain will naturally have to choose one thing that it does well. And for us, uh, we're choosing to do DeFi very well and provide a home for DeFi applications and services to live, where if you build an application on Kava, you just naturally inherit cross-chain infrastructure to all these other blockchains. So anyone, anywhere in the 
crypto ecosystem can use whatever's built there. So uh, what does it mean for your cross-chain infrastructure to, uh, you know, be connecting? Uh, you know, are you using like IBC or what's your mechanism for, you know, bridging or connecting uh, cross-chain? So I like to describe bridges or, or kind of this activity of moving assets from one blockchain to another in a, in a spectrum. And Kava does kind of the full gambit uh, of the spectrum um, but I'll, I'll just break it down really quick. On the most centralized side of things, you have mint and burn. So you have a single address that has the ability to mint an uh, asset on demand and burn it. That's the most common form of like USDT uh, or USDC. But a lot of people think of that as like a single blockchain centralized thing. But in reality, how they operate, they're actually multi-chain where you have USDT on Tron, you have it on Algorand, you have it on uh, Ethereum, and you have it on Omni. Uh, so for those types of asset issuers, it's very important to have this mint and burn capability and, and Kava provides a module to do that. Uh, so anyone can be voted in with the privilege to, to do that. We don't allow uh, kind of anybody to just sort of show up with a wallet and start minting tokens on our blockchain because that would constrain resources. But the governance group itself can look at any proposal. So if USDT came to Kava and said, hey, we want to start doing this on Kava, the governance group would look at the proposal and give them an address with permission to do that. Uh, and then those assets could be used in, as collateral on all of our apps and services that live on Kava. So that's on the most centralized side. Yep. Then in the middle, you have uh, what I would call uh, a trusted relayer or deputy setup. And this is what we've done with a blockchain like Binance chain, which is already a fairly centralized set of, uh, um, of node operators there and, and control. Yep. So how that works is, a user on Binance chain will move an asset to an address uh, that we can effectively call like an escrow. It's stuck in a hash time lock contract. Uh, and from that point, it gets sent to a deputy, which is actually a node run by one party or a handful of parties uh, that approves transactions going from that blockchain to the destination blockchain, which is in this case, Kava. And there it delivers the, the Kava pegged version of that token to the user in their Kava address that yeah. they specify. Yep. IBC is one step over from that, where it, you actually, instead of have this like fairly centralized group of relayers, you have a multitude of relayers. So many nodes uh, that look, they run nodes on both networks. They look for a transaction to be broadcast on, on the first blockchain. They then collectively reach consensus that yes, it's a valid transaction. We're gonna broadcast it on our nodes on the destination blockchain. Um, and that is something that has just reached production uh, recently. So it's been a promise of, of Cosmos and it's only reached production after I would say like three, maybe four years of work. Uh, so it's very exciting. A lot of people didn't think it was actually ever gonna come through um, because it, it's in many ways, uh, this trustless way to move uh, assets from one blockchain to another is actually a very difficult accounting problem given that different blockchains work uh, you know, with different modes, different consensus. Um, and with IBC, it provides a standardized way for all of this to happen. So that, that's a really exciting evolution that's happening actually right now as we speak of uh, blockchains adopting it. Uh, with the Cosmos Hub, they've adopted it first. I know Akash Network is adopting it. Uh, I believe Terra is as well. Uh, with Kava, we already have you know hundreds of millions of dollars locked in our blockchain in collateral assets. So we're a little bit more uh, hesitant just from a governance perspective to readily adopt this new technology even though it's been formally verified and uh, it seems like everything's working and in good order, 
we want to just kind of tread lightly. We'll we'll let a few other blockchains adopt it, work with it uh, before we put kind of all of our user funds at risk by opening up this new you know cross chain corridor. It's um, uh, just a funny note that you mentioned both Akash and Terra because the past two show recordings I did was with Greg Osuri from Akash and Doquan from Terra. So like it's you're you're a good company and uh, <laughs> you know it's a, it's interesting. You know, it's a, I guess it's a small world is probably the best way to put it. But uh, you know, yeah, especially um, I mean Ter Terra was one of the first big projects like Kava in the Cosmos ecosystem. So yeah. you know, Doe Do and I we we know each other for for quite some time. Uh, we were bullish on Tendermint before the world was bullish on on Tendermint. Um, yeah, and everyone then Greg, should be excited about Tendermint. It's uh, impressive. Yeah, yeah, and then and then Greg, he's just been doing awesome, phenomenal work. He's one of the best developers in in the space, and what he's built with Overclock and Akash Network, I think it's actually one of the most interesting blockchains, uh, kind of outside of DeFi, uh, that that's around. So I'm really excited to see what they do going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very exciting. And uh, it's nice, nice community, uh, you know, so it's great to see. Uh, so I, the next segment is about numbers. So, you know, in terms of like traction numbers, usage numbers, like, you know, like would love to get into your numbers. Uh, what, what sure. Are... Um, I'm actually going to pull up a page here. Great. Because, Happy to have yeah, you do it. We have kava.io slash stats. Great. That provides a lot of numbers. So yeah, uh, so you can even get numbers newer than the ones you're going to give us right now. But please pull it yeah. up and uh, you know let us know where they where the numbers are at. So uh, so far, Kava Labs, uh, the company, you know, we created this Kava blockchain. On the Kava blockchain lives uh, three assets that are native to our applications. There's the the Kava governance token. There's the hard protocol governance token. And then USDX, the the stable coin that's minted um, using the Kava lending app, and together those currently have a market cap of about 46, 464 million. Um, so that's kind of the native assets uh, are are at that kind of fully diluted value. And then in terms of cross chain assets, assets that move to Kava, uh, I see right now we have about twenty six million in Bitcoin. We have a little under 4 million in XRP, uh, about 10 million in BUSD, and 31 million in BNB deposited. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what that totals, but I think it's about 100 million um, in total. Yeah. Well, yeah, so in actually asset supplied, it, it varies, of course, as people are using these applications and you know collateralizing a loan, repaying the loan. But right now, the balance sheet of at least Kava's lending app we have about 75 million in assets supplied as collateral uh, to that application and 32 million uh, of USDX stablecoin or debt issued off of it. Uh, so th those are the numbers there. And then in terms of the hard protocol, which is our cross-chain money market, uh, that can be found at hard.kava.io. Uh, we currently have 41 million uh, in assets supplied to the hard protocol uh that people can borrow from wow that's uh those are great numbers and uh you know it's a uh, very very inspiring so um the next segment that we talk about is uh sort of the secret this is a bit inspired uh a bit by um you know uh sort of the idea that every great entrepreneur you know has some kind of secret weapon or unfair advantage or some kind of like you know so you you know what's your what, what's your secret <laughs> Oh, uh, boldness? I don't know. 
I, I think that one of the things that at least when I got into crypto, uh, actually, I'll, I'll take this one step back. Even when I before, so my last company is is called Fanatic, which is you know one of the largest esports organizations in the world. Um, oh, I didn't and know when that. I joined that that's you didn't quite, know that? I did not know that. That's really exciting and amazing, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, so Fanatic, you know, it's currently a $175 million company uh, valued by Forbes. Maybe it, it varies based on you know how bullish people are on esports at the moment. But uh, when I got into that, my secret there was I was just passionate about esports and gaming. I loved gaming growing up. I wanted to do gaming, and I was willing to sacrifice kind of any salary or, or compensation to do it. And somehow I was able to stumble upon an opportunity to, you know, found this amazing company, um, which at the time, nobody got paid to do that stuff. It was only after Twitch became a live streaming platform and advertisers could come in and then family office money came in and then the whole industry kind of got bootstrapped up into, you know, a much higher tier than, than where it started. Um, so I, I guess like my, my secret would be that I'm usually so passionate that I'm foolish. And uh, that was definitely the case in, in, in the gaming world when I was there. And then now in crypto, I've, if I look at the history of, of Kava, uh, you know, we formed the company out of pure passion. And me and my co-founder, Scott, we, we paid people's salaries. We hired some engineers and researchers in uh, you know, 2017, 2018, just to really do as much research so we could learn as much as we could. Uh, but we ended up getting a, you know, our pretty, pretty much up to our eyeballs in debt without any good prospects of revenue at the time. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was in hindsight, uh, it was good to participate in the space, but it was also very foolish for how we did it. Um, but we just had so much passion for it that we, we knew that we had to make something that the, the market wanted. And we knew that we were building up the capabilities and the insights to do so. That's so uh, and, amazing. You know, thankfully yeah. that, that's how Kava got formed. Um, and then the only other secret I might add to that is, I'm usually too bold and uh, brash that if there's anybody that I want to talk to, especially as I'm in that like learning phase at whatever industry I'm in, I will just reach out and figure out a way to get in front of them and have some time. So it was, I think, within two weeks of deciding I want to be in crypto, I want to learn as much as I could about this you know, emerging blockchain space. Uh, within two weeks, I had found myself at the headquarters of Consensus having a meeting with Joe Lubin. I was meeting with the founders of Ripple uh, you know, I was meeting with kind of every large player at the time that knew something about the space. Amazing. So I, I was at least able to bootstrap my knowledge from from zero to 60 pretty quickly. And then it's about kind of all the really deep expertise after that. Uh, but it really comes down to just I'm I'm brave and I'm not afraid to say, hey, can I have your time? And uh, and often they reply with yes. And, and you're surprised. That is fantastic. And it's such a funny linkage because, you know, I, I kind of have to admit, like, you know, I, I'm an occasional watcher of, uh, you know, League of Legends and uh, oh, you are. esports. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know, I'm pretty familiar with Fnatic, uh, you know, especially last season with like uh, Bwipo Broxa kind of, you know, and Bwipo is just a hilariously fun person to watch because he's such a like incredible uh, incredibly dynamic player and, and you know and very and very expressive so you know his face is yeah, very fun yeah. to watch so it's 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 a great you know really great franchise and you know it's amazing that you're uh you know a, a big part of that uh it's it's funny actually kevin uh from forte uh was was doing uh gen g so you know he, mm -hmm. he started a pretty big uh empire in, in the esports world as well so it's it's funny it's funny to have these uh kind of 
cross planetary interconnections of sorts. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Kevin came into the the space and a year or so after I did. Um, and yeah, like I said, the, the wave at that time of just investment and then just the, what I would call just like the, the enterprising or, or franchising of these sports teams, which previous to, you know, two years prior, it was really just collections of 18 year olds who like to play video games. And somehow they, they got a sponsorship from NVIDIA for a thousand dollars or something. And they thought that was a business. Yeah. And then just overnight it turned into, you know, very large companies, um, huge things, just like real sports teams with merchandise, media rights and, and everything else. Well, I mean, they've, they have bigger viewership than like the NFL and things like that. Yeah, so, I know. You know, it's like, it's kind of hard for. <laughs> it look at the numbers. Them. There might be something there now. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah, it's a ridiculously big thing. And I think the thing that's been really uh, impressive too is how how the league is executed during COVID. So you know, it's mm-hmm. a much harder. It's much harder for the NBA. It's much harder for the NFL. It's much harder for these kind of like physical sports players. Co- but, COVID was a great boon for esports uh, yeah. and and just gaming overall. Yeah, and uh, it, it, and for the audiences, right? Because a lot of the audiences were really itchy to watch sports, and there really was any. There weren't much in the way of live sports to watch, right? So it's it really just yeah. became like, well, let's watch this. You know, like it's competitive. You get to yell and, you know, you get to, you get to figure <laughs> a out. A lot of people don't know, but it's a very social thing. You think gaming is an isolated thing that you do at home with a computer, but um, there's so many just groups that you would hang out on a you know Zoom call like this or with your friends. You're actually playing games since you're spending more time at home. Yep. Uh, people taking work breaks and, and, you know, doing a quick game with their friends. Uh, there's just way more time and attention devoted to that industry right now and it's probably going to last because as you as you said you're watching league of legends now you know the 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 characters and now you're going to follow them probably even in the post-covid world uh a bit more than than you did before yeah it's it has been an amazing transition and i think the world has received a very big whack towards the digital and i think obviously the war on cash but like digital money digital currency digital assets digital finance uh, decentralized finance it's all kind of happening so uh i guess the the next section is probably very adjacent to this which is the idea of kind of inspiration right so this can be professional but it can also be personal right which is like what 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 what's inspiring to you now like obviously you mentioned that you're inspired by this space which is the cryptocurrency space but i you know i'd love to get from you like you know do you have any kind of new year inspiration or any kind of like you know books or anything that you're like turned on to right now i mean i'm 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 a voracious consumer of information in all forms podcast books yeah uh blogs any good ones um most recently ooh, there's there's quite a few Uh, i actually have a collection of uh nasim uh taleb's books behind me that i need to get through yep but uh that's on my agenda for for this year he's been well recommended by too many people that I, i just can't ignore it any longer and I need to consume them. Um, I'm going to forget the name, but there's a, a negotiation book that came out, I think, in the past oh, wow. year or two. That is a really, really good read. Um, it's made by the this group called the Black Swan Group, uh, but they just have amazing negotiation tactics by an ex, I believe it's either FBI or CIA uh, negotiator who wow. would negotiate situations. So and it's just a fascinating book to read, but then you can apply the same tactics to business deals and everything else. So su- super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like hostage negotiation type stuff. So you can be yeah. like, you can be like, 
uh, sign my uh, contract or I'm going to like blow up the whole building, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, normally it's when you're dealing with someone who is the, the kidnapper. I That's see. when you need to deploy these tactics I when, when someone's being I unreasonable. I see. You're um, kind of but, talking but, them off the ledge here. You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, but but it's like fascinating case studies of how, you know, this person's grandma gets kidnapped in, in Haiti and then they want a million dollars, but then through negotiations, they negotiated down to something like 1600 bucks in a Sony Walkman. <laughs> and, the, and then the, the, the kidnappers accept the offer. It's just like really crazy. Wow. Things. Wow. I love, yeah. well, I'll tell you what is I'll follow up by email and get that reference and I'll leave it in the show notes. Cause you know, it sounds, it sounds too uh, juicy to pass up. So, you know, it's really intriguing and uh, fun and interesting and, and, you know, has a lot of vitality. So, you know, I think we already did a couple of these, but the next segment is really about shout outs. So I know we did some shout outs for, for Akash and we did one for Tara, you know, but other, other kind of shout outs. I mean, you obviously did one for Joe Lubin and, you know, for the ripple guys, but like, you know, who else is in your, in your short list? Yeah. I mean, so just going back on the book, since I just Googled it, it's called never split the difference, um, by Chris Voss. It's a fantastic book. Cool. I, cool. I highly recommend Never split the difference. And, and, and it could come in handy if you're ever in a, like a hostage negotiation or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> life skills, real life skills. Exactly. Exactly. That's good. Um, so in terms of shout outs, like who, who am I, uh, paying attention to who I like, well, as I mentioned, Greg from, from yep. Overclock is, I think he's doing fantastic, but yep. actually the whole fantastic. team over there, Boz and, um, and their team, they're, they're just really great guys. Uh, they're new on the scene in terms of building a, a decentralized blockchain and, and kind of getting liquidity in the markets, Yep. but they're making all the right moves and, and they're doing it very smart. So I, I really appreciate that about them. Um, in addition, I would say uh, a shout out to David Johnston, uh, oh, wow. which you may know, but yeah. he, he's, uh, he, he's a resident over here in, in my new hometown and I've connected with him recently, but he's just a fantastic guy uh, that I'm sure I'm going to see a lot You're more in Texas. of. Yeah, in, nice. in Texas. Um, and, uh, you know, he's the master coin guy, the, the guy who coined dApps and, you know, really OG uh, Bitcoin. That's so. so cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Very, very uh, good, good name. Uh, Fantastic. Well, I, you know, that's that's always a great thing to, to get. Uh, so uh, the, the next segment I kind of jokingly call uh, Leaking Alpha, which is it's more like a roadmap segment, right? Which is, okay. you know, what are what are kind of upcoming exciting events, you know, for, for Kava or, or even ones that you're just tracking in the industry? You know, what are the, mm. you know, mile, product milestones and, you know, things that you're excited about uh, coming up soon? Yeah, so at the end of February, we have uh, Kava 5, which is our, our fifth upgrade to the Kava blockchain. And that includes the, the hard protocol cross-chain money markets, uh, the borrow function of that. So with that complete, people will be able to do kind of the circular activities that we see with Maker and Compound, where people use ETH, they mint DAI, and then they lend DAI on Compound, or they use uh, that as collateral to, to do kind of rehypothecated um, supplying of dye to get superior yields. We'll see that similar activity on Kava uh, following that Kava 5 launch. Um, and then later in the year, we actually have two new applications in the roadmap to be launched. One is a, a Uniswap native to the, the Kava blockchain or automated market maker, yep. um, because we have a lot of native assets on the blockchain, all these cross-chain assets like BTC and XRP. Uh, we'll be able to create liquidity pools for them. 
Um, and, and then following that, the next application, which I believe is scheduled for Q3, end of Q3, Q4 this year, is a robo-advisor. You can think of it very similar as like a urine finance uh, for the Ethereum ecosystem, but again, native for Kava, uh, that will allow people to use kind of the lending app, the, uh, the money markets, the liquidity pools, and find the best strategies to, to generate yield all from them. So, um, and then, yeah, and then what we're doing, um, since all this is like, we say apps, but really what they are are services. Um, we're packaging them all up a, into a single API that you, know, you can think of as in a few lines of code, uh, a crypto app developer can integrate and give, whether they're a wallet, an exchange, you know, some investment app, they can give their users access to this all with a very seamless integration. Um, and that's because what we believe the future, especially for 2021 is holding, is that the world of centralized finance or exchanges and wallets where all the retail customers live, they don't actually, based on data that we've seen from Kraken and others, they're not participating in DeFi today. It's too sure. complicated to custody your own keys, to do diligence on For sure. various applications. You know, you just don't know if you're going to get the rug pulled out from under you. Uh, so what we're prioritizing in kind of everything that we build is making sure that they can be directly integrated into centralized exchanges. And this API is a step towards that. We've already kind of done these preliminary uh, proof of concepts with Binance and with BitMax, where they've directly integrated the hard money markets or the Kava lending app to give their users a one-click experience within the exchange to, to generate a return. But uh, I think this API will allow us to expand you know, these uh, integrations far faster and much easier for teams that are you know, even less technical than, than those guys. That's impressive. And uh, what's the sort of programming model that you know, is, is endemic to the Kava ecosystem. You mean like what, what language do we use? Yeah. And, you know, just generally the environment and tool chain. Yeah. So, uh, as we mentioned, we're, we're built on the Cosmos SDK, yeah. uh, modules are added to provide discrete functionality, whether it's creation of a CDP or price feeds for oracles or whatever it might be. Each one of those modules is, um, a package made in, in Golang. And then um, we do most of our front end in uh, JS. Oh, okay. I mean, that's that's fairly standard, but uh, you know, the yeah, goal like yeah, stuff no, is... no, nothing too complicated. Um, I think there will be many other implementations in the future. Uh, I know a lot of people like things in Rust and um, Golang is actually a really nice one when when it comes to DeFi because you can be quite certain of you know uh, an input results in a certain output. And you don't need to worry, at least in the Cosmos SDK framework, of all these different uh, packages of code really interacting with each other and complicating things by opening attack vectors. It's a very different environment to build DeFi applications than, say, something like Ethereum, where it's just an open smart contracting platform, sure. where you know all of a sudden you get flash loan attacking. Like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Uh, so yeah, it, that, those are things that we've remedied in how we've designed Kava, but uh, there is still a need to make all of these applications and services composable, but in a safe and well thought through way. Wow. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And so, you know, in terms of like the we, like uh, obviously there's a, you know, decentralization and community and whatnot, but like, you know, like how would you characterize the we, like the Kava community? Like what, how do you, how, how do you, the, is there a core dev? Like what's the, what's the scoop? Yeah. So 
from our perspective, like at least at Kava Labs, we do mo only software development and we don't really run nodes on the Kava network. So when I think of the Kava network or the blockchain and how it's run, uh, the we there, while we might contribute to the code base, uh, the we is our very large list of validator orgs, um, many of which I'm very happy to, to have as our validators. All the leading exchanges, you know, Binance, Huobi, OKX, they're, they're validators on our blockchain contributing to both the security and the governance. Um, but then we also have interesting players, I would call them, uh, that many other blockchains don't, uh, where you want the validators and the node operators to be very credible entities. So we've worked with groups like Dell Tech Bank, where they have this uh, Dell Chain subsidiary. They run a node on, on the Kava network, which uh, you know then they can actually provide staking services to their customers or people who custody assets with them. Uh, and that's actually just really good from uh, a reputation standpoint for our network. And then we have a really long tail of node operators as well that are uh, what I would call more like hobbyists, where people want to participate. They want to run a node, like they might run a Bitcoin node, they'll run a Kava node. We'll have a lot of people like that supporting the network. And then we have our third party integrations. And that's where you know BitMEX, Binance, those integrations come in, uh, our wallet uh, options. So Cosmos Station provides a great Kava wallet. Trust Wallet provides a great Kava wallet where there's like native staking of Kava. Cosmos Station even allows cross-chain functionality um, between Binance Chain and Kava natively in their wallet. So all, all the partners like that are really important to us. Um, but there's there's hundreds, and then the the final users we have about uh, I haven't looked at the stats actually in months, but uh, as of three months ago, we had a, around two hundred fifty thousand accounts wow. on the, the blockchain since we launched. Impressive. Um, and we, we've only been li live for about a year uh, now, and there are at least the last time I looked about two thousand open active CDPs. So there's a you know a whole base of people who hold the tokens um, and, and do something on the network with them. Uh, and that doesn't even include the trader base, which is, you know, if the native accounts are, you know, in the 200K to 300K range, maybe it's more now. Um, I imagine our trader base is in the millions just because there's way more people who are, you know, leaving custody up to the exchanges. Sure, sure, absolutely makes makes a ton of sense. Well, that's 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 really exciting. So, uh, you know, I know in various sections of the show we've already talked about some of these exciting other projects that you like, but uh, you know, this uh, section that I do now is called Pocket Picks, and so you know, mm -hmm. if there's any kind of uh, obviously Akash is an unsung hero, but like you know, if there are other kind of really neat projects that that you're keeping your eye on, uh, you know, would love to hear hear your thoughts. Yeah, uh, well, internally, we do keep our eye on Frontier. It is an integration into Kava. It provides a front end to DeFi. Uh, the founder, uh, Ravindra, was the, the ex-CTO of Instadap. He spun off and, and has made Frontier since. Um, oh, yeah, I know but it's an overlay to a bunch of DeFi applications, including Kava. So we look at, at, at them quite a bit. Um, I know that they've recently issued the Front token, which has been listed on uh, Binance and, and Huobi and OKX. So they're, they're doing, you know, a good job of facilitating liquidity of, of that. Um, I'm, I'm really interested to see how they grow over time. And then uh, what I do look at, but, you know, I, I'm not going to call out any favorites just now, is I do look at the Cosmos ecosystem and uh, at, at players who are doing a lot of development. And, at, you know, I'll, I'll call out one, but, you know, ThorChain is, is really yeah. interesting just from the amount of code that they've been pushing 
the amount of activity that they've been able to facilitate and they're a pretty decentralized team. So, uh, you know, it's just really cool to follow them, follow the folks over at Terra, like you mentioned, yeah. um, and all the progress they're doing, you know, completely two different ends of the spectrum. But uh, when you look at the, the code that people are pushing and what they're building, um, there's a lot of activity happening and it's, it's really interesting to follow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, uh, you know, Hassan from uh, Arca gave a, you know, a good shout out to, to Thor. And, you know, it's a very interesting project, obviously, it's very dynamic and, you know, tons of code getting thrown out. So it's, it's pretty exciting yeah. to watch. Uh, you know, really, really interested to, to get your opinion kind of in the broad spectrum, since you're in the kind of like, Cosmos uh, developer ecosystem, you know, what's your take on the whole Polkadot system? Because obviously that's a now uh, sort of managed to flip in uh, XRP as, as sort of a number four. Yeah, so it's, it's a, number four now, Yeah, uh, which is pretty crazy. So what, what I would say is from a developer standpoint, um, unless you're a Rust maximalist, um, <laughs> uh, Polkadot's not the best place to, to develop, um, but there are different trade-offs, right? Like if you're a good developer and you can pick up Solidity, you can pick up Golang, you can pick up uh, Rust and, and you know, you're very flexible in that way. There different platforms offer different things. And what the Cosmos framework allows you to do is it allows you to make a blockchain uh, that is of your own. It's your own security model. But what that means is you have to then go recruit a very good, robust, decentralized group of validators that are yeah. going to secure your chain. Otherwise, you might as well just run, you know, a, a blockchain with a node of one, which is you guys, yep. uh, but that's not decentralized at all. Um, so that that's kind of the burden you inherit with uh, with the Cosmos SDK. But development in GoLang is actually, in our, at least in our view at Kava Labs, uh, a very superior developer experience to, to anything else. And the tools that are available for the Cosmos SDK are, are superior to kind of building stuff today. And, and we're very pragmatic. We had we chose it actually Cosmos at the time mostly because it was the only ready uh, framework that we could use uh, to build our own blockchain. There wasn't much else available. I would say on the substrate side and, and with Polkadot, uh, the, the tech seems good, uh, developer experience not so great, but you don't have that burden of getting a bunch of validators um, yeah. to Huge. You know, have security. And it, you know, it really depends on as a group uh, organization building something do you want to have that burden? Do you need to have your own security model? If you don't, you should, you know, do a smart contract on Ethereum, or you maybe you should do something on Polkadot. Uh, but if you do need your own security model, you need which we did. We're we're holding, you know, a lot of collateral, and we need to make sure that our system is designed specifically for maximizing the security and reliability of DeFi applications. Um, it was just a, a necessity for us to do that. Um, and if you fall into that group, I think Cosmos is is the best situation for for developers like that. Yeah, and I guess from a PIX perspective, like, what's your take on the Atom? Uh, obviously, it's a you know separate uh, entity unto itself, you know. But oh, okay. what's your what's your uh, but what's your thought about it? I mean, my my very vague thought on it is is that you know if you look at it from a utility perspective, you know, it certainly has potential to close some of the gap between it and and dot. Yeah, I, I think it all comes down to what services can it offer. Uh, and right now it doesn't offer, well, really much anything outside of the Atom governance token. But in their roadmap, uh, there is quite a bit uh, there that they're adding. And I know that they're going to be uh, forking or reusing code developed by other SDK chains um, and looping some of that in. So I know that they've been exploring uh, an automated market maker. 
Um, they're probably looking at, at peg zones. So maybe Ethereum peg zone gets woven into it. Uh, there's a lot of activity that could happen with Atom, but I'm again, a, a pragmatic person. So I, I will probably hold out to call a, uh, a long or short on, on Atom until I see like real development and um, like a proper launch date for those things. Yeah, that makes good sense. And you've got a lot of those kinds of tools on your own, uh, you know, ecosystem. So, it, you know, it's a, it's a nice, uh, you know, base layer. Uh, one that I'm kind of keeping track of that I'm excited about actually is Agoric. Uh, I don't know if you keep track mm. of those guys, but. Uh, yeah, so, so Agoric is a very, uh, I, I have a bunch of people that were, uh, you know, close to me, even our one of our original people at Ripple that we worked with has moved over to, to Agoric. They've been doing, well, they're just really smart folks. And, and they've Vanessa? been, you know, yeah. So Vanessa moved over yeah. there. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Uh, but I mean, the, the whole team is, is very smart and they've been contributing a lot to the ecosystem. Um, I know that they, they're not public with all the things that they work on, uh, but it seems like they, they have a lot of nice things that they're going to come out in the next year. Yeah, I you know just a full disclosure, my fund is invested in Agoric, but uh, you know we do like those guys, and you know it's to me like I think uh, you know it's a it's a very uh, kind of a nerdy gang, and you know that's the kind of thing I really like. Uh, you know, I really appreciate yeah. it. So I think it's uh, it's terrific, and they're they're doing some some exciting stuff. Um, I guess my mindset around something like that is that you know they really are developing a mechanism that enables javascript to be used in the way that you know as a smart contract language you know and that that means adding kind of a security framework that is sort of above and beyond just vanilla which is you know the only real practical way to do it so anyhow they've been thinking about it for a long time so i really like them um so i guess you know to, on a closing note i think you kind of touched on this throughout the show is you know kind of what's the big idea so you know in terms of big ideas like I like to reference Steve Jobs. Uh, I, I feel like his big idea was personal computing, you know, and uh, you know, when he started out, it, it wasn't computing wasn't very personal. And, you know, when he got done, he it got really, really personal. So like, you know, I, I'd say, I'd say he, he got that right. So, you know, I, do you have like this multi-decade longitudinal big idea thing going on or, you know, what, what's your big idea? Oh, Okay, yeah, there's so many ways you could answer that one. Um, I'll try to scope it uh, a bit more to what we're doing. And I, I like to keep things in a two to three year time horizon. Yeah. But as I kind of hinted at earlier, I think the, the biggest thing that we should all pay attention to is that uh, crypto today is a very insulated group um, of crypto traders and technical enthusiasts. And the majority of that group doesn't even custody their own keys and they don't interact with DeFi protocols today. Um, and if you believe in this composable uh, decentralized financial services and applications world, which, which we do, uh, we think that really the future of growth for all of this outside of the central bank digital currencies is direct integrations to retail environments where the retail users don't need to think about it. They don't need to know what application or blockchain they're interacting with. They just need to know what return they're getting on what assets. And you know, many, many more people are holding Bitcoin these days through Coinbase, through soon banks offering those yep. as uh, you know, products to, to their customers. And what follows that, what follows the PayPal adoption and Square and everything else is giving people the ability to earn on, the, on those digital assets. Um, in the form of interest, in the form of lending it like you would have a savings account yep. at a bank or whatever it might be. So what I think the big idea is, is what are these distribution points 
that opens up digital currencies to a much larger base. Um, and, and for us, you know, for in the DeFi world, it's all about kind of those distribution points. Who are the big players? Who are going to open up the, the doors and lead the way, uh, like PayPal seems to, to be doing um, and taking the first steps to? That will really bring in the world to adopting this technology. And we have, uh, that is a very, very big idea. And I think it's very important to understand kind of scope and scale and magnitude, right? Like, I think if you go back in your time machine, I think you talked a lot about kind of how it happened for esports, right? And when you look at esports, it, it absolutely is like, oh, well, here's an 18-year-old kid and he likes to play a game and NVIDIA's giving him a thousand bucks. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, this is bigger than the Super Bowl. You know, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> that that's a big freaking deal, right? And so like the question becomes like, you know, I think it's real. It is important because the in the crypto world, uh, you know, this particular world is kind of a insular bubble, and I don't think we really even understand the the bigger world, right? So I, I think you're right. I think PayPal, Square, Cash App, you got uh, Revolut. Uh, you know, I've got kind of normie friends telling me about uh, you know Crypto Robinhood. You know, so like, it's, yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah. So right there, these are these are happening. You know, and obviously there's kind of like native crypto CFI adjacencies like BlockFi and Celsius and, you know, these kind of things. And, you know, those are kind of yield generating consumer friendly uh, CFI applications. So, you know, I, I think I think that those are those are big, big, big ideas. And, you know, I, I liked I like your answer of like these, you know, two to three year journeys, because, uh, you know, that that seems like a, a exciting way to, to, you know, live multiple lives. <laughs> Yeah, one parting tip I, I've learned recently yeah. that I'll give you, and, and you probably have come across this. Uh, you and I have both been avid frequenters of uh, crypto conferences and events sure. up until COVID has, has come around and, and really shut down the show. Yeah. Um, but what that I've realized has limited my, it's put on like the horse blinders on me, is I'm only talking mostly to my fellow crypto people yeah. who are you know really savvy and uh, it shaped the way I viewed the industry for some time. But then when I started participating on, on platforms like Clubhouse, where, you know, it's sort of a, yeah. a live format where you're interacting, you'll have, you know, folks like you and me, Chris Dixon, whoever else uh, in a chat room as, as experts talking about a particular thing. But then at the same time, you get that conference experience where someone has just shown up because they're super excited. They're super curious. They just bought their first hundred dollars of Bitcoin and they have so many questions. And you start really realizing when you're in an environment like that, where you have the full range of people, uh, just how early we still are. And I think it's really important to have that perspective uh, that the, the crypto community is very small still. And while there are a lot of big financial players getting involved and that's changing the dynamic, the real big transformative wave happens when you know, all those newbies really get brought up in the curve and more newbies come in. And it seems like uh, that's going to happen over the next few years. If you know, this is that's a wonderful insight, and I definitely encourage people to come check out uh, Clubhouse. I've been in there for a little while. My friend Ahalia invited me, but uh, you know, I feel like this thing is really um, that we're we're in this adolescent phase between bitcoins and satoshis, right? Where satoshis yeah, yeah. satoshis yeah, exactly. are satoshis are too small. And like Bitcoins have suddenly gotten to be a little too large, you know, for the kind of average person, right? You know, the average person is not like, oh, give me a hundred Bitcoins. It's like, uh, no, that's not how they're thinking, right? So, you know, it feels it feels like we're in an adolescence. It feels like we need like a Nakamoto or we need some unit that sits <laughs> right in the middle, right? That that, that yeah. people can really wrap their head around. 
you know, or a stock split or whatever. <laughs> Definitely. That's just my micro strategy. Yeah. So, so many times I'm just like, Satoshi, they're still too small, but people need to start thinking in some in-between chunk because there's so many people who just come in and like, I have to buy one whole Bitcoin and someone goes, no, no, you don't. But that's always the question. Isn't that's it amazing? The- it's a, That's an amazing thing. That's that's probably the most frequently asked newbie question, which is like, and they're always shocked. They're always like, oh, you mean I can buy less than one entire Bitcoin? Yeah. Like, and it's like, oh, yes, that's true. Anyhow, fantastic. Well, this has really been incredibly refreshing. There's been so many like amazing little twists and turns. So I really enjoyed, enjoyed myself and it's great. It was great hanging out. Yeah, same here, Miko. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Thank you.